Hi, my name is Tom Ollerton and this is the Shiny New Object Podcast. This is a podcast about new marketing technology and every week I interview someone from the industry that I look up to, admire, or has done brilliant work, or all three. And this is a special one this week, although I say that every week. Maybe I should stop saying that. But not, I am speci- just- <laughs> not special needs special. Well, no, just I'm excited about this one. This is Nicole Yershin, um, who I will let introduce to... Uh, to you all shortly um, but when I started being an innovation director I was told to go and speak to the the high priestess of innovation <laughs> in the UK and I was uh, gratefully took a meeting uh, at Ogilvy um, kind of four or five years ago and what you said then was a real foundation for what I achieved at We're Social that I was proud of there so could you assume the audience doesn't know who you are and tell them a little bit about what you do now and how you got there? Of course. Um, Hi, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Tom, for having me as your special guest. Um, Okay, so I won't go back as far as when I was born. Don't want to (laughs) bore everyone. But I've I've been in the industry, um, advertising and marketing for 30 years. I was at a company called Gold Greenish Trot with Dave Trot. If anyone's ever read his books or his blog posts, he's legendary, he's incredible. Um, I would suggest it. Um, I was there as um, as head of traffic for uh, many years. Then I was at Simon's Palmer and um, some, some great people that were there. And I got a brief about 17 years ago to go to Ogilvy. And the brief was from the chairman at the time to bring them into the 21st century. It was to move them from an analogue world to a digital world. And in essence, it's exactly the same as what people are talking about now. It's digital transformation but I was doing it 17 years ago. So it was looking at workflow systems, finance systems, digital asset management systems, um, digitising all their archives, going back to the 50s, digital distribution, get rid of tapes, get rid of couriers. So all the things that are messy and difficult and everyone says we want to innovate, they don't actually always want to do it because it it means putting really hard work in and it means um, a lot of disruption. So I, uh, for 17 years, was um, tasked to be a maverick within Ogilvy and be disruptive and turn it into um, an advantage. And then about kind of, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11 years ago, I founded Ogilvy's Innovation Lab. And that was kind of the first of its kind in terms of what is a lab? What does it do? Is it just a word? Is it just a PR stunt? And I managed to kind of... um, give them a really good kind of reputation of being at the forefront of, of what was happening with all this change and technology. Um, the lab closed down about 18, 20 months ago, and i um, more than happy to go into detail with that later. And I, since then, I've been, I've set up um, four companies, four businesses, and um, I have written an Amazon number one bestseller clang (laughs) called (laughs) rough diamond and i've also um produced an online course on how to become an intrapreneur with 42 courses so sorry just what what's an intrapreneur an intrapreneur if you um look it up on wikipedia i mean i know the first time i heard it i didn't think it was such a word but it's an entrepreneurial spirit within a very large organization So within Ogilvy at that time, I was looking for the entrepreneurs to try to affect change um, within the organisation, the ones that were curious and passionate and um, a little bit more fearless. And um, so the course is is all around how to spot those entrepreneurs and to try and affect change within a large company. And that's kind of me up to now. That's missing two businesses, though, isn't it? There was the number one bestseller, Clang Clang. <gasps> All right, so then yeah, co- my business is the guide to how to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> that's the online course. There are actually there are four businesses: NYC Consulting, Lab for Hire, which is pretty much how my lab was operating in Ogilvy, but now operates a leveraged business model um, outside. And it also it doesn't really work much with marketing or advertising. It's you know the last work I was doing for a large FMCG company with their um, supply chain and what their future supply chain was going to look like. Uh, I work in with Disruption Magazine, so it's lots of kind of interesting stuff where we're bringing the outside world in to an organisation because they're they're too busy with their day jobs. Um, I've got Rough Diamond, which is the book, the online course, and we're also looking to set up a school, a free school, 
for 14 to 16 year olds for um, a creative preschool in uh, London uh, borough and we and my fourth business which is very exciting is I'm bringing my dad out of retirement and he's the legend media guy that I know that you've met Tom a couple of times um, Mike Yashin, he he took media out of agencies years ago and created the the separate kind of media and creative agencies, and now I'm I'm asking him to work very closely with with brands in um, doing an audit of that media space and programmatic and um, and maybe brands can do media in house and anything that needs doing with with transparency and my dad will be doing with um, Yasha Media. So that's the kind of the fourth business. So let's jump into a few questions, the mm. getting to know you questions round, if you like. Yeah. Um, because normally what happens with this podcast is I send over the questions and someone write back and go, yeah, yeah, cool, all right, yeah, let's talk about them. <laughs> you really did your homework and you sent them over and you said, print these out for me. And I'm going to honour that because you, I, I really want to kind of go deep on a couple of these. Um, so... What would you say, given that you've done all these different things and uh, and been at, set up Ogilvy Labs, what has been the biggest fuck up, as you call it, that has set you up for success? Hmm. Um, I think that believing that common sense was um, that existed. And common sense actually isn't so common. And I um, overestimated the integrity that comes with leadership. I assume that people would see the common sense and value that's caused in one place and the impact it has overall, uh, which meant that an innovation lab that I set up from scratch with the help of not many others, but a few amazing people for the benefit of the whole was shut down because it was an unknown line item on a spreadsheet. So it was... um, you know, I was, I went at it in a kind of, I thought I had all the answers, but actually it was common sense that in the end didn't prevail. So this is a theme that's come up a few times in the podcast across various different guests is why it's so hard to sell in innovation and why does common sense not prevail? So why didn't that happen at Ogilvy? I think I had 16 amazing years where I had leadership who understood it didn't necessarily need to impact on the Excel spreadsheet and the bottom line, and they trusted me, and they allowed me to be a maverick. So you had um, uh, leadership that was more open-minded, open-hearted, and uh, an enlightened leader. So you have to have that to be able to innovate within a large company. Uh, what happened was that when when shit starts to hit the fan and when money starts to get um, difficult and obviously WPP shares were going downhill, it, it gets to be a little bit like the Titanic, I guess, and they just start chucking things overboard and the lab and the Excel spreadsheet and line item thing was one of those. So it was very short-term thinking. And I noticed that not too long after that, Ogilvy set up like Ogilvy chatbots or something like that, didn't they? Yeah, that's kind of like just one thing. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was quite surprised that I was there. Anyway, I'm sure um, that I'll get explained to me at some I, point. I, so- I, I never slag off anything that they do, or I, but I do tell the truth as to what actually happened. So um, I, I think that was the beautiful thing when I left there, was that I was able to leave with, um, with integrity and know that it was nothing that I could have done. It was, it was a, a spreadsheet and it was their business model. It, didn't, it just didn't fit it. Um, so what would you have done differently? So the, the big mistake was assuming that common sense prevailed. How would you have gone about that in a different way? if you'd had that particular chunk of time again? I don't think it would have made any difference because their their business uh, model is attributed to um, your time and timesheets. And it's, it's, you know, it's by the hour. And so therefore the, the stuff that I put down that was measurable in other ways, that there was a value, just wasn't measurable on the Excel spreadsheet. And can you go 
into a little bit of detail about your model, which I always thought was very impressive. Was it mm. the five R's? Six R's. Six, damn it. Yeah. Well, so, so let me see if I can remember some of them. So revenue, what do you get paid little for innovation? Bit, yeah. A little bit, yeah. Oh, that one. Well, that um, was where I, I got Rory, and um, Rory Sutherland was a, he's a, a vice chairman at Ogilvy, great speaker. And before he was actually speaking, I said, "Can I be your agent?" And I was able, and he was like, "Yeah, sure." And I was able to um, negotiate money for him to speak at events that then came into my lab R and D pot, and then I was able genius. to innovate with that money, so therefore not ask permission. So that revenue, then reputation, yeah. PR. Um, recruitment and, uh, and also awards they were heavily ah, measured yeah. on awards right okay which presumably you we won twice for... a year yeah oh, okay. we were winning awards oh, amazing um, I, I won an award for innovation last year well done I'm uh, so proud of this it was a <laughs> best chatbot um, and we beat the Robbie Williams chatbot very good I think that might be the third time I've mentioned it on this podcast but uh, there you go my only silverware I didn't know it well, well so brilliant. thanks for telling me <laughs> So proud. Um, so uh, that's revenue, reputation, and then recruitment. Yeah, which is the uh, program that we set up for. Um, when I say diversity, it doesn't mean we have to have a black person or a yellow or orange or a blue person. It just meant we are just different thinkers. I was fed up with always working with white middle class Oxford educated, and I felt within this new environment. I mean, I'm going back about 15 years that we needed to have a different level of personality that was a hustler that that thought differently that was an entrepreneur that was an entrepreneurial spirit that that was able to deal with the technology um coming through and the changes that were happening and finding another way of doing it and was Gemma Milne one of those people Gemma wasn't a um one of the rough no, Will Harvey was Will Harvey. Yeah, yeah he was okay. one of our original ones um Who's now innovation director at, at VCCP? VCCP. Yeah. yeah. So we go back about nine years of rough diamonds that came into Ogilvy that ordinarily would never have got into that kind of organisation. So you're incredibly ahead of your time with us. Yeah. And so revenue, reputation, recruitment, and I've run out. Um, relationships. That's the black book. Right. So um, through the semesters of learning, we would see 10 to 15 different companies every single week, depending on what semester it was that we were looking at. So whether it be AI, VR, big data, behaviour change, um, storytelling, mobile gaming, social. If we did all of those semesters, mm. there'd be six months per semester. So we would always be able to see 10 to 15 different companies every single week who were in that space which is why the black book is so immense, which is why the work I do now with Lab for Hire is a leveraged business model. So it's working out what is the problem and then we find the right people to bring in the right solution. Right. Because I remember when we met, you said you, I meet like four different businesses a week and I was like, how do you, how do you manage to fit that in but I guess that that's your lifeblood as an innovation person isn't it if you're not connecting yeah. if you're not creating new relationships and, and what's amazing and I really hate saying this and it is annoying to people who think oh she's bragging I'm not but we were looking at companies um like recently there was a company that uh my dad was doing something with photos and and my other half said oh you should have you checked out uh retronaut my like, oh, I know retronaut I know Chris and he's been doing I met him 10 years ago but no one wants to hear I did that 10 years ago and it's very frustrating but you see these companies at the very very start of their lifespan and it's incredible the journeys that they then go on and so you that's where you get your reputation from because you're always meeting people having a cup of tea or coffee with them and being open-minded and open-hearted I mean that's how I met you most people would think you get a random person like you connecting with me on LinkedIn saying do you fancy a cuppa um, I want to talk to you and pick your brains about your job. Most people will say, do me a favour, don't be ridiculous. I say, yeah, great, because I'm not, I have enough self-esteem to know that I know my strengths and weaknesses and it's good to be able to um, work out other people's strengths and weaknesses and be open to what they can do and how they can work with you. So what has been the best investment of your time, money, or energy in this long career, working with all these different people, building up these black books, and winning all the, all these awards. What would you say was the thing that you're most happy that you invested in? 
I'm going to have to say it's my kids um, because they inspire me every single day. Their honesty, their truth, um, they don't care about who I am or what I've done or my business or they wouldn't even be able to give you my an elevator pitch as to I'm just mum to them. But the learnings I've got from, say, my son, for instance, in terms of how he's gone through school and how school have wanted to expel him every week because he, he's not going through, he's not sitting down and shutting up and, um, you know, sit down, shut up and be quiet for eight hours. He couldn't. So it was working with the school and working out how we could fix that. I mean, cut a long story short, Max ended up deputy head boy type thing and now at finished university and, and all was fine. But I had about three years on my hand of really pushing hard with the school in that they were trying to just push him out like the rest of the students and and weren't accepting that he was doing things or thinking about things in a different way. And the same with my daughter. The learning that I've got from my kids goes directly into um, my learning that I have within life because it's it's important and it's, it's, it's understanding humans and people. And so how have you taken that inspiration and put it into your work so how, how have you been inspired by one of your kids and then gone right I'm going to apply this to well, Rough Diamond was directly because of Max because when I got got through all of that kind of angst with him and um, and we there was a, a teacher that really helped who was kind of like the translator teacher because he understood Max and he understood the teachers. So what was happening was a translation issue, which I had always at Ogilvy. So quite often I would get Gemma in to speak to people because they weren't understanding what I meant. There was a real translation issue and she's almost kind of, no, what Nicole means is, because she understood me and then she understood their language. Um, and it was the same, and I learned that from Max's school. There was a guy there called Mr Wilson who translated for Max. So when Max had a confrontation with the teachers, um, there would be this cause and effect. And if he took it to Mr Wilson, Mr Wilson could say, well, what they really meant was this. And Max would go, oh, that's okay. And he'd do the same with the teachers. So it was really, really interesting. Directly from that, I set up Rough Diamond because I worked out, well, what happens to all these other 13, 14-year-old kids who are supremely smart? Maybe not Oxbridge smart, but they're about to be expelled and they're, they're just, it's because they just can't go through the system. And they haven't got mothers like me that are like three years later still fighting the fight. So Rough Diamond came about, well, let's get those kids into Ogilvy who are supremely smart. So how did you find them? How, how did a, you qualify the right With companies? a beautiful company that Robin White, who set up uh, White Collins, Rutherford Scott, an engine, he set up something called Ideas Foundation, and it was run by a guy called David Holloway. And David and his team looked at all of the schools in Greenwich, Tower Hamlets and Hackney. And we said to them... Um, we want them to look for the kids that are about to be expelled and to bring them into us at Ogilvy. So about four or five times a year, they would bring the 14 to 16-year-olds who are about to be expelled into Ogilvy and either Joe Bloom or Shannon or there was someone within um, the lab team who would look after those kids and show them a, a way, um, a life that they didn't know existed. They thought their future was a Tesco's checkout. And then we would stay in touch with them and put them onto this rough diamond scheme where they could they, they finish their tertiary education and then they either go to Ravensbourne or School Communication Arts and then we would speed date them when they'd finish their second year at either of those um, schools and then we'd hand pick about five or six of them and they'd work with us for the year. So what did you, what did you tell these kids that they were going to do? So they'd be getting loads of grief at school and they're like, right, you're going to come and hang out with some, some well, hipsters in I uh, think Canary that Wolf. they... Well, bearing in mind, in the school, they're very kind of um, brazen and um, they're the king of the castle, aren't they? And they get to a place like Ogilvy and they're absolutely shitting themselves. And, and they're, you know, it's a very intimidating environment. And we would also, we'd go out for, um, we'd take them out for a proper lunch, not like, not like a Nando's, but we'd sit and talk to them and, um, and have proper life chats with them. And one of the girls, I remember so clearly, she'd said, um, I said, you feel like, you look like you've got the world on your shoulders. She said, well, I'm upsetting my mum and my teachers because I'm failing at English. 
and it upsets me that I'm upsetting them. So, and it turns out she's born in the Congo. So she's fluent in six languages, Congolese and Spanish and French and English. And, and so we're like, you're a genius. But no one said that to her before. She thinks she's a failure. So it's, it's, it's been a, you know, when you say, what have I learned from my kids? That has been massive, what I learned from Max in being able to then put that into practice with Rough Diamond. And that's the title of my book. And that is a big kind of area within the book that I talk about, which is giving back and mentoring and not just talking about the word diversity, but actually rolling your sleeves up and doing something. I'm fed up with people just, just saying the words. So... If you're not working with someone who's part of a Rough Diamond-esque programme, what advice do you give to people who want to get into the industry? I mean, you must have friends who've got kids who are like, oh, the girl, she works in Adland. How do you advise those people? Well, always meet them. Just give them some time. That's the first thing. So I met someone yesterday. It was Bank Holiday Monday. She'd taken the day off of work. She worked in a retailer. It was um, someone's um, daughter... And we met and um, for a cup of coffee, and we we had the most brilliant time. And I, I give normally give homework, for and I say okay. What kind of homework? Well, I say just go and scan the environment every day for an hour. I just want you. I want to find your passion. I want you to start to notice what makes you happy, what gives you an injection of um, of you know where you feel like you're on a high, and let's start to to work out the things that that you enjoy start off on facebook start off on on twitter i don't care what you do but i need you to start to work out areas in in life that you that you're passionate about or that make you smile and register it and um how then what happens so they do their homework and then they come back and yeah go. and then they'll, then we'll meet in a month and then we'll start to get an understanding of what makes them smile and um, and what gives them a passion, and then from then we'll be able to work out how I can help them audit a space. So she's really interested in music, the girl that I saw yesterday, and I don't know what kind of music, but I because of my black book, I've got a whole load of music people, but I don't want to be doing that right now. We want to be working out, really honing in what's her true passion. Sorry, slight sidebar. Who do you really rate in music at the minute? Which hot startups? Oh, I'm on the board of one, so I'm going to Go be biased. On. Sound Diplomacy. Okay. Yeah. Tell me about that. Love them. I love them. They're just kind, decent, amazing company, and they they're a technology company, but they're a music company. And what they do is they consult with um, anyone that's putting up, that's doing anything with future cities that future cities that are popping up all around the world all the time. I mean, even kind of like with the cross rail that's going up. And they help them with their strategy, with music strategy, because these these future cities people have a strategy for everything, but not music, and certainly not grassroots music. So with if Crossrail, for instance, they have torn down, I don't know how many grassroots music ventures without even giving it a thought they're putting in this huge kind of railway thing, but what they're doing is ripping out the heart of a city. Um, and so what Sound Diplomacy will also do is they have a, a software that they're able to pinpoint and, and mark um, the areas that are, you know, that have a lot of music um, in at the part of the city. So they've done something for Brisbane, they've done something, I think Peru is a city, anything that where a city is going up, they'll make sure don't miss out on, on the music strategy. That reminds me that the person who was responsible for Heathrow Terminal 5, was yeah. that last one, he said they'd spent four billion on it before they even thought, what's this place going to sound like? Yeah. I know, mad, isn't it? That's why I love sound diplomacy. Um, so... You said yes to those guys who are on the board. Mm. Um, but what... Oh, this is a terrible segue. But in the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to? I think when you... Um, when I left Ogilvy, I've, I've always been in employment. So I've always had a monthly salary. So for me, it was really easy, actually. The job that I was doing um, was to... that I needed to see as many people as possible to see what was going on in the outside world and bringing it in. 
when you're self-employed and time is money, you just don't have that luxury. So what starts to happen is you you look at people's actions and because um, they speak louder than words and you start to do business with people and meet up with people that actually do want to meet you and they're not going to blow you out two or three or four times and that's fine if they do but I, I only want to be looking at people who do what they say and say what they do and I think that I got really finely tuned at being able to spot those kind of people. So you've become better at saying no to people who don't do what they say and say what they do. Yeah, I think it's um, it's just it's understanding that you need to get paid. You know, it's like you wouldn't go into a hairdresser and and have a haircut and say, "Oh, I'll pay you next month," or "I can't afford to pay you for that." And that that person spent their whole life training to become a hairdresser. I spent my whole life training and my, my brain and my wisdom is, um, is worth paying for and you start to value yourself a little bit more. So you say no if, if you, you, know, you feel that something's being ripped from you. Yeah, and I, I mean, I found this um, it's in a similar position kind of a, probably a year or so after you, but you, you say no with real conviction. Like, there's nothing in for it. You're just like, no, yeah. we, we will not be doing that yeah. unless you're going to pay me. But, but, very, but just be very honest and transparent yeah. in that, you know, I need to pay my mortgage and I've got two kids and I need to put food on the table. It's not a difficult conversation to have, um, an honest conversation. Um, so, assuming you're getting paid and so on and so forth from these you're people... You're not paying me for this, actually. <laughs> Uh, you got a, I tried to buy you a drink, but uh, yeah, you, know, you did water. I, I got you, got you water. You've been my cheapest interview. So, <laughs> um, so uh, what what is the most useful thing you've bought with your own cash that you've used for work? Aww. What's the thing? What's the thing that you've bought and you've gone? You, you weren't necessarily thinking about it in terms of oh, I'm going to go and buy this pen for work or whatever. What's the thing that you've invested in where you thought, you know what, I couldn't possibly do the job that I do without that? Hmm. I think the investment, not money, but is time that I have now and, and having the courage to set up my own businesses and um, gave myself back the ability to make my own decisions about what I choose to spend my time doing. Um, so this investment allowed me to increase my knowledge meant going back to what was really going on and um, not doing what I was told to do. But investing in time, I could go to events where I know no one and I know nothing, but I can get a lot of learning. Tell and me about that. So I read that in the notes before and I thought it was fascinating. So, yeah. um, so what do you do? Do you pick an event that yeah. you don't know anything about and yeah. you go down there? And yeah. <laughs> so how do you... How do you justify that to yourself? It's, it's part of being having your finger on the pulse. And just part and parcel of the work that you have trained yourself in doing in spotting things that are interesting. And normally when I spot things that are interesting, it interests me because I know nothing about it or I don't know anyone. Normally when people go to events, they stay in the same cliques and they know the same people. Um, whereas I go to an event, like there's one coming up in November. The main event is um, Web Summit which is in Lisbon, used to be in Dublin. Now, most people will go to Web Summit. I don't. I know that there's a little offshoot thing called House of Beautiful Business. And I looked at their website. I'd seen um, someone, one of my friends in Lisbon, talking about them and just thought, that looks interesting. Looked at the people and what they were speaking about, knew not one of them, which is very unlike me. Normally, I know everyone. And thought, yeah, I've got to go to that. And, and what is it? What is the house of it's, beautiful business? It's showing how to do business better um, and put heart back into it. And it's not just about the spreadsheet and it's it's treating people differently. And um, it's just a different way of doing business. It's social enterprise. It's a bit of kind of lots of different things that... Um, with lots of different industries as well. It's not nothing to do necessarily with marketing. It could be with shipping. It could be automotive. It could be, it could be anything. The practice of business. Yes. As opposed to the specific. Yeah. And I'm also going to Hatch, 
So hatchexperience.org was something that I went to when I was first um, made redundant. And it was in Montana. And it was like planes, trains and automobiles to get there. Um, and, and I just, you know, halfway through the journey, I'm thinking, what am I what doing? It? It, it's just a group of people who want to hatch a better future from all around the world. And it's, it's become an incredible community. And they're doing a hatch in Cannes. Uh, a week before Can Lion. So for me... Are you going this year? No, for me, I'm going to Hatch. Right. Okay, but you are going to Can. You'll be there. Yeah, I'm going to Can, but not to Can Lion. Ah, right, okay. I'll be at Hatch. I'll spend my money on doing something different. Um, I've been to Can Lion for many, many years, and I especially went there when they, were, they did innovation. It was a separate entity, and I mm. really wanted to put my... Uh, give them my support and I was judging on the innovation award one year and last year I was I was with Justin actually and we were doing some mentoring yeah, the... to a few, a few of the startups but I don't if I don't have any involvement and if I'm not up for like at Ogilvy we were always up for awards um, so that, then I'm not going to go to it just for a jolly uh, I'll go to somewhere where I literally know no one and nothing so Let's get to your shiny new object. So, your shiny new object is Kubernetes. Yeah. Right. So, this is a word that I smile and nod to quite a lot. <laughs> uh, I, ha- I was first introduced to the idea of Kubernetes by Alex at Selden mm. years ago, and I, I just, my brain hurt. Yeah. So, I am, I, in half an hour's time, I will understand this because you are going to explain it to me. (laughs) We will try. Um, So, can you give me a elevator pitch for a Kubernetes? Yeah, I mean, I I won't be able to demystify it for you in that amount of time. The reason I said it was because I can wax lyrical about any other shiny new object. I can talk to you about AI, VR, ML, whatever you want to talk about. But I wanted to um, bring something up so that um, something that I don't know much about, and that's what I like uh, to do. Yes, I okay. bring things. So, a shiny new object for me is something I know nothing about, and I need to know more. So that's on my radar in terms of um, semester of learning. Is that I need to know in an elevator pitch what is Kubernetes and how companies in the future will all run on um, within this space. So tell me what you know. Um, it's um, I'll try a key part. It's uh, it requires an infrastructure platform that's able to scale quickly and deliver products to market faster. Okay, so what it does is it has these these kind of little um, oh, I can't remember what they're called. They're Hold on a sec, let me go back to my notes. If if you were to talk about Kubernetes as human form, that would be lab for hire and a leveraged business model. It would be, we would be sitting on this top platform and we would be working out within a company, a problem with sales, a problem with um, supply chain, and we would, as humans, go to each one of those individually, yeah? What Kubernetes does is it underpins underneath the human, so the business, and you can do all of these little things separately. So you can send a brief out if you've got a a problem with the supply chain. Um, You can send a brief out to a whole load of people and they would access what the problem is in like an open source way and they would be able to fix it. So if you've got lab for hire on that leverage business model of problem solving on one level, underneath it, the, the Kubernetes is the digital version of being able to fix problems digitally. So it, it's an infrastructure? Yeah. Okay, and, it's, uh, and is, is it hardware or software or both? Or how does it it's, manifest it's itself? It's software. Right, okay. And so... My understanding of Kubernetes is it was, it was related to artificial intelligence as being a provider of AI services. Is that right? Um, I see it as more um, open source, where right. where people are able to 
access a problem with a certain area, software, within a company and fix it. So how is that different from something like an intranet? I don't know. I don't know enough about it yet. And that's the beautiful thing when you say shiny new toy. I don't know enough about a shiny new toy. That's why I put it down on my to-do list to interrogate it so that I can understand it in the most basic human way. And so what was it about that, that caught your attention? Was it an article or was it you know someone that was working with Kubernetes? Yeah, I, I understood that um, when I started talking to, when I left Ogilvy and I started talking to businesses and um, one of the companies that I spoke to um, said, we want to innovate at the core of our organisation. So I said, well, what does that mean to you? And it actually meant different things to different people. So I would bring in my lab partner, one of my lab partners, and we would he would draw it up on the wall, um, which is great because it means it's not a PowerPoint presentation. It means that there's there's no hiding place. And he smokes them out around the table um, when we start to discuss what was the, what how they want to innovate at the core then we discuss what does innovation mean to you then we start to discuss who are your stakeholders what do they want which a lot of the time they don't even know then we start to discuss well then let's really look at how we can um, restructure your business and we look at hiring and we look at process and we look at uh, maybe a leverage business model maybe they don't need to employ so many people maybe they um, can just pulling people when their needs um, and wants happen. Maybe they um, just maybe, maybe, maybe do things differently. And halfway through the, the day when we were doing that, some people around the table said, but this is, um, this is business transformation. And we were like, well, yeah, that's the question you're asking. And they said, well, well we don't want to do that. <laughs> they want to put innovation at the core of the business but they don't but didn't want, to, want to transform the business yes and Kubernetes is something that I came across where it was going to be transformative not from a human point of view but from systems point of view okay and then you you knew a supplier in yeah and I, I you then, tell me that was, or was yeah that? Mark Cantor um, so I have certain key people that I will go to for certain needs so there's someone I'll go to for if I don't understand something on machine learning or or, or AI or um, behavior change or there's certain key people that I trust that because I don't know everything, I only know enough to be dangerous. I'm a connector. Um, and Mark Cantor was, was someone that I went to and he started explaining it a little bit more. It was like, like being at a university with him. But and who's I, Mark? He's someone that I met maybe, I don't know, maybe 12 years ago at an event maybe it was picnic or I met him at a random event um, as I meet all these random people and we just stay connected because you just find that kind of good people know good people and then you connect on LinkedIn and then you know 100 people that they know and <laughs> and that's kind of your network that's just and, the start. And is he a technologist? Or yeah, a... he's, he's a, a mad techie. Okay, and so you were working with a client who wanted to innovate but not and you thought Kubernetes might be a solution so yes and then how did he explain it to you he he explained it in a a complicated way that I need to do more work with him and more work on it'll probably take me about just about six months and then I'll have it um under wraps and I'll start to know I'll start to have worked out who's in that space who's not in that space who's doing interesting things who's doing things that i can explain in a human way as a case study that's that's going to be interesting and so have you then taken mark in to see the client to no it didn't it hasn't got to that stage but if i go into a client whereby um the outcome could be that they need that kind of help then i'll bring him involved that's part of the lab's business model is bringing in the right people depending on what the problem is so what do you do in a situation where the client says we want we really want to innovate which i've definitely heard before (laughs) and then it transpires that they don't want to innovate what do you do do you then say well you know thanks but no thanks yeah it's exactly what you do otherwise you're solving the wrong problem really well and you're getting paid to do something that is not going to solve the wrong is going to solve the wrong problem really well so what you do is you just you have them try to be honest with themselves 
and that's why it really helps having it up on the wall because there's no have, hiding place. And having what on the wall? Talk me through that they process. They have the whole strategy up on drawn on the wall. The, the business strategy? Yeah. What, as a timeline or as a, a flow? As a flow. Right, okay. It's phenom- it, honestly, it's so amazing um, what he does in terms of... It's not Scriberia. He's not just drawing what people are saying. It's going through this funnel within his brain and it's it's pure strategy that is... It's strategic visual thinking up on the wall and and it gives you the strategy for the next five years, ten years, who needs to do what, what needs to be done by when. It gives you the whole kind of game plan in front of you. Yeah, I I find drawing incredibly powerful for problem solving. Yeah. And I, I find it also super interesting when you're drawing with someone that you're working with. Because yeah. if we're talking abstractly about a concept, mm. but as soon as you put pen to paper, as soon as you get that pen on that whiteboard and go, all right, so you've got yeah. these bunch of people over here, mm. draw an arrow, they give some... Then that other person can pick up another pen and start drawing. Mm. And then you've both created something. And, I and think you've in- got the right people in the room to agree it. And you don't have to have another meeting about it. Then you can start getting into action. Um, so... So you've got four different businesses, mm. which must be incredibly complicated, and you, you're a connector, and mm. you've got a really strong belief that you can, if you don't know someone, you can find someone. Yeah. If you don't understand something, you can get to understand it, even yeah. if it does take you six months. But given you, you have such a, a positive and can-do attitude, what happens when you get overwhelmed when you think you've taken on too much? So There's got... always someone to help. And how do you find those people? You're nice to people always, like you. You phone <laughs> me, you send me a note out of the blue after however many years and say, I've got uh, some weird ideas, can I, can I talk to you about them? And I say, of course. And then we start talking and then we'll almost certainly be doing business together. So it's a bit What's of alchemy and yeah. 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 It's alchemy and it's it's open mindedness and working out the um, the right people to bring to the party when the need arises and I've, that's my experience. That's kind of thirty years worth of experience that I've got in my head. So I'm curious to go back to the shiny new object and Kubernetes and one thing that I'm frustrated with myself with is when. Some, a technology creeps up on me and I haven't looked at it early enough. Yeah. Like something will blow up and you'll be like, why did I miss that? So I was I was super early on bots and super early on, relatively super early on, on voice. But kind of AI came out of nowhere. Before I knew it, it was like this huge thing. And how do you make sure as, a, as an innovator and someone who brings in innovation, mm. how do you make sure that you stay on top of everything? Do you... And you do like read two hours a day or do you, you... You go to the right places where you know no one and you know nothing. Right. It's uncomfortable. It really is uncomfortable because most people like to be in their comfort zones and like to be able to talk about things that they know. How many people do you know would have been on your programme and you would have asked them what the shiny new toy is but they don't really know? I'm quite happy to be able to say I don't know yet but I know someone that knows more and I'm learning. You've got to get comfortable with not knowing these really new things and be able to get it into um, your head how it's going to work. Now, I, I mean, there was something um, I was chatting about on Twitter with um, ex-colleague Ogilvy where I think it was publicists have made this big announcement, haven't they, with uh, Marcel or yeah, whatever. Exactly, yeah. And we were doing something maybe 10 years ago called Ogilvy Brains identical maybe even better and we started it and it we'd gamified it and there were Rory was involved in it and um, maybe 400 people across the network started to get involved in it it was a really amazing powerful system that had been developed but there was um, no money to be put into it now they have at least a CEO who's called Marcel, so that's a great thing anyway because it means it's not going to fail, is it? Because he's put his name <laughs> to it, um, and so they've they've put money into it. When we were doing Ogilvy Brains, it was revolutionary before its time, and the early adopters had all kind of bought into it, and we were all using it, and uh, but it had to get pulled because 
I think the IT, the worldwide head of IT put a little bit of money into it, but they just wouldn't put the money into it. The Excel spreadsheet got in the way. And yet that was maybe done at least 10, 11 years ago, Ogilvy Brains. Very frustrating. And that was, you know, it's that's what happens when you're at the bleeding edge. So do you think publicists have got it right? Have you they're actually doing something I mean I, I know it all came in a big kind of furore didn't it because they said we're not paying for Cannes or any awards and we're going to put all our money into doing something with this system so that confused me because I thought right, well how much do they spend on a on awards at Cannes like yeah. okay, how much how much do you think well, it is that then goes it's not going to be like the 5 million quid that would be required to build a global voice based platform I, I was slightly dubious about that but that then goes into transparency with these large organisations. Are they, are they telling the truth? Do you believe them? Can you work with them? Um, and that's why you know, the stuff that my dad is going to be doing with, um, with Brands Direct, he'll be able to, because we know where their bodies are buried. We've been around a long time. So we'll be able to answer, ask the right questions um, and, and get the right answers. So tell me a bit about your dad. So you brought him out of retirement. Tell me, was that over <laughs> Sunday lunch? Was that no? I had um, we had a really hard time with my mum being diagnosed with terminal cancer, and she passed sadly January a year ago, and um, and it was around the time that Ogilvy had shut down the lab and it was around the time so there was a lot of shit going on in my life and um, I mean what are you going to do about it and the good thing was is that my dad was around and he started getting all excited with the different things that I was doing with writing a book and um, and setting up these companies and it was just a natural fit for he I mean his learning just went through the roof I mean you know what he's like he's just so curious and his knowledge of you know set up um, two companies and sold them by the time um, he was you know, in early 40s. How old is your dad now? That was loud, isn't it? It's all part of the, <laughs> all part of the fun. Um, he's in his 70s. Right. But he's like a, a, a 18-year-old. He is. Yeah. He, he, he his really brain is. is just super sharp. Um, he... Uh, like, I had breakfast with him this morning. I love hanging out with your dad. <laughs> um, but he's more more curious and more excited than like, most people, the quarter yeah. of his age. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, in my experience in an agency, you work with kind of younger people and... But they're uh, cynical as well, aren't they? Yeah, they're like, well, you know, we're here to learn the overview way or the, yeah. you know, the publicist way or whatever it is. When, um, when in, in actual fact, like, they're not mm. really learning anything new. And I just want to try and find this quote from um, Mary Keane Dawson, yeah. the founder of The Truth, or Truth, excuse me. She says, I'm still 18, I'm learning all the time. Yeah. And I, I absolutely love that mindset. It's just like accepting that you don't yeah. know anything or you know a little about a lot or whatever, but like tell me that new thing mm. because and it, it gets it because, gets you curious. Yeah, and it gets around the common sense problem that you were talking about before. Mm. You know, you assume common sense, you assume curiosity, you assume people are going to be fascinated. Yeah, but not all so too much. Often, no, no, that's I think that oh, what, what's the quote? Something like um, the rules were put in place to keep the people at the top at the top, mm. right? And yeah. like they create a system yeah. that maintains that authority. See, I've always, within the lab structure, um, is always been a non-hierarchical way of working. It's We've always done emotional intelligence testing to work out people's strengths and weaknesses, and therefore we don't say, okay, you're really, like with most agencies or most schools actually, where they say you're really crap at that, um, you need to get better. We say you're really crap at that, but you're really good at that. Why don't you carry on doing that? And someone else will be good at what you're bad at. So it's, it's, it's making sure that people are understanding of their strengths and weaknesses and being comfortable with that and not trying to um, put on an emperor wears kind of no clothes type thing. And I think a lot of leadership, and you can talk about whether it's in large organisations, in agencies, in um, government, uh, they have people at the top who are not uh, ready to be in those positions um, because they're not playing to their strengths and they're pretending to be someone that they're not. Now, I am able to kind of spot that 
fakeness quite often and that doesn't help much when you're within a large company trying to um, innovate and when you've you haven't got the respect of leadership because they actually are not not right for that job so um, I'm really curious about the balance of things that you do and I, I, I really understand how you could vary you, the, the, the nature of your network and your personality that you're a brilliant connector of people and um, I can see that how you've taken inspiration from your kids to um, do things like Rough Diamond, but the book, it feels very odd to me, you as a, as a personality, um, and you told me how you wrote that book, and mm. I'd love you to tell the story of the, the, the technical process of how you did it. Well, I was, I happened to be on a boat at the time in a jacuzzi and um, I'd gone to this, (laughs) I'd gone to this thing called Summit at Sea and um, it it was randomly, uh, there's no Wi-Fi and I don't know if anyone's heard of Summit at Sea, but it's, it's like Ted meets Davos meets Burning Man. And I just literally came away from Ogilvy. I didn't know what day it was. It was really kind of very sad it was my baby that had kind of been shut down as well and anyway went on this boat and talking to this guy in the in the hot tub and he said who are you and I said I'm Nicole from Nicole there <laughs> <laughs> was this this feeling of who am I I'm not this head of innovation or you know this covered with the with the Ogilvy and the title and the um you're just yourself and anyway, we started chatting and he said, oh my God, you've got some good stories. You're a woman in tech for the last 20 years. You've been pushing the boundaries. People say, no, you do it anyway. Um, you really need to get these stories out. So I said, I'm not a writer. And he said, no, seriously, I'm a publisher and I think that it would be good for you to to get this down. And um, And then... So we stayed in touch because he lives in Vegas and I'm in London and we had Skype calls once a week and um, he was recording the calls and I'm thinking, oh, this is okay, I can just talk. And then it got to January and my mum passed. So this was the November and my mum passed in the January and then um, I then started chatting and I said, how many words a a chapter? And he said, probably about 4,000. And I said, I really, I can't do this. And he said, um, well, your mum knew that you were doing a book, so you probably need to continue it. So that's always a good start when you don't really want to do something, but then you feel you have to do something, which was the case with the book. And then I started trying to write it, but I just I just couldn't get it from my head to my fingertips. And my partner said, um, saw my frustration. I'm saying, you know, I'm I'm a speaker. I speak at events and I and I talk and um, and I I just can't write this. And he said, well, why don't you try this app called Day One? And it's a journal app. And so what happened was I had all the I had the chapters down, the titles, and then I just started to talk a, a paragraph at a time of what I was going to be talking about in each chapter. And so one paragraph, and, and as you speak, it then types, and you get into the habit of speaking very slowly so that it can understand you. And you end up one paragraph, then is another paragraph, and then you've got your chapter down. And then you do another chapter. And, and before I knew it, that kind of, it had been, a book had been created from nothing. And so that was, so by the following November, we launched it in LA, and that was a year later. And um, and it were, it reached number one bestseller on Amazon in its category. Wow! Yeah. Can I ask how many you've sold, or is that really? I don't know. They they update me every quarter. Just get a massive check. Every no, quarter. Oh, I wish. <laughs> no, but it was it's something I never thought of doing, but because I, and that's the beautiful thing actually when you think about when I left Ogilvy, I left with the truth. Um, you know, they wanted to run a story that said Nicole in, in true entrepreneurial fashion is leaving Ogilvy and we're so sad and anyone that knows will know she's always wanted to uh, run her own company and, and Ogilvy are going to be her first client. And I said, no, I'm not. You're sacking me. You're getting rid of the lab. What am I going to tell my team? They're all out of a job, but I'm OK because you're my client for, what, five minutes? It's just so you can sell this story. 
I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'll take no money and we'll go with the truth. And the truth is that you can't be telling your clients that you're an innovative, visionary company and then get rid of your R&D facility, which we all know and everyone knows because it's well documented, has been working really well. Um, and I think that really shocked and surprised um, quite a few people at that time. I've never bad-mouthed them, and I never would because I had some incredible years, but that was not that was short-term thinking to do that, and I don't think they probably thought that they would come up against someone like me, um, that money isn't my driver. Uh, my driver is, to, is just to be transparent and... and um, and just get the truth out there, which may, meant I could then put that in my book. So had I not done that, I wouldn't have probably written a book. So um, I'm just going to do uh, a little wrap-up. Uh, um, okay, sorry, it's really important. About that. He's busy so, writing, <laughs> by the way. So just to kind of do a wrap-up. So Ooh. you started out working with... Dave Trot, mm. and you were the head of traffic. Yeah, uh, which is, I, that, that surprised me. Progress uh, control, making sure things happen on time, don't go over budget, right people see it. Making shit happen, yeah. and then you were tasked with bringing Ogilvy into the twenty first century. That then turned into setting up Ogilvy Labs, which for people who don't know the the industry space, Ogilvy Labs is really the kind of Man United of <laughs> of. Uh, innovation teams always manage to get stuff away which I can tell you is incredibly difficult um, and you've got a, a great reputation and then the labs closed and I think that they, the kind of underlying story here and I'm sorry it's an emotional one is that you lost your job and your mother at the same time uh, and yet you just scorched through that and set up four businesses like a number one bestseller on Amazon and um, uh, which is um, you know, a guide to being an entrepreneur. You've got your consulting business and lab for hire. Um, and then you went into a bit of detail about your six R's, the mm. foundations of uh, innovation. Um, and the, I think the bit I enjoyed the most was talking about Rough Diamond, how you brought in kids that were about to be expelled. And mm. you know, myself, I, I got into this industry when I was 30 and I was a chef. So I've got mm. a lot of time for anyone who helps people come into the business. Yeah. They don't necessarily haven't been through the ranks, um, uh, and I think that it's it's interesting that you kind of you try and find what m- makes people smile when you're giving them advice, and mm. the fact that you're on the board of Sound Diplomacy that do sound <laughs> for smart cities which is crazy, um, and, and the things that you say no to is and the people you try to avoid, or well, the people you move towards, I should say, people who do what they say and say what they do. Uh, and that really echoes what Mary was talking about, a kind of honesty and an openness and a, and a truth. Um, I love the bit about your kids inspiring you. And I, it was quite difficult to write notes because I was so absorbed by all this. Um, and you're going to be at the House of Beautiful Business and Hatch, a can. Uh, we talked about Kubernetes and I love the fact you admitted that you don't really know very much about it despite being on a podcast to talk about it. But that's <laughs> who you are. You don't, you're honest about your... Uh, your lack of understanding in an area and that, that fires you into it mm. um, and it's lovely for you catchphrases like good people know no good people I think that's, that's true yeah. um, and you throw yourself into places where you don't know anything and that's where you find those interesting people that you form these relationships with and I love it that like you said I was having a really hard time in a jacuzzi <laughs> in a boat and introduce yourself as Nicole from Nicole which is uh Maybe your second book title, I don't know. <laughs> um, and your main driver to be uh, transparent and and to talk about your truth. And I think that's a really lovely way to finish it. And thank you so much. That's, uh, I feel I've got to know you much better, actually. It was really cool. Good. So if you want to just talk about how you want people to get in touch with you or um, what's the best place to find the coalition? Yeah. Well, I was... Um, I thank my mum and dad for social media wise because there is only one Nicole Yershon <laughs> <laughs> so uh, whether it be on um, any social channels um, and just reach out and I'm always um, contactable and just you know ask questions and um, what's the worst that can happen and 
can you just give people specifics on the book so they yeah the book is the book is called rough diamond and you can order it on amazon or um on uh website book websites barnes and nobles or waterstones or whatever um and the online course is with 42 courses and it's how to become an entrepreneur and um and yeah, my my, I'm pretty much. There's just only me, Nicole Yershon, N I C O L E, Y E R S H O N. Um, and the good thing is, is that my the company is kind of like the N Y Collective, so N Y being New York, which is also quite nice having those initials. Very cool. Yeah. Right, we got to leave it there. We've got evenings to go to. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me.